0: We're going to talk about patience again today, but uh, I'm going to take 10 minutes before we get into the message. So I got to really hurry on this uh, because I felt like God wanted me to to just put this little nugget in there um, about, you know, I mentioned it last week about that. I believe you as a body of Christ, we're going to see miracles. I believe we're going to see the goodness of God being manifested. I believe God wants to see his manifestation of His goodness within us. And um, I believe it's so strong. I've been a pastor now for many years. I've been in ministry for since uh, 1991, however many years that is. So, oh, next year it'll be 30 years. That's I remember that now. But um, I've never believed so strong that I do in these last probably six months about the power of God being manifested. I know that God is always with us, and God is always here no matter what. But there is a difference between the presence of God and the manifested presence of God. You know, God is here no matter if you feel it. There's angels in this room right now. I said there's angels in this room right now. God is in this place right now. But there is a difference between Him and then the manifested presence of God is this. It's when you and I become aware that God is here. That God is here. And um, I know there's... I, I feel like I, I need to teach you this and not to... Uh, well, let me just say, I, you know, like revival. When Most of the time when people talk about revival, they are praying for God to do something. God, pour out your spirit. God, move on our city. God save people. God, God, God. And um, I've come to the conclusion that God wants things to happen more than what we want things to happen. How many would agree with that? How many would agree that God... The Bible even says that it's the will of God that none should perish, but that all should come into repentance. It's the will of God for everybody to be healed. It's the will of God for... Everybody to sense the manifested presence of God. And so, I, you know, and since I've come across the grace measures in the last six, seven years or whenever long it's been, I know this that sometimes grace people can get just as legalistic as anybody else. I believe when God hears revival and people crying out for revival to get Him to do something, I believe God interprets that as that. I'm going to make you aware of something that I've already done. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, that God has given us everything that we need. Does that leave anything out? Let me ask you this. Was the cross and the resurrection enough? <laughs> oh, now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Was it enough, or do we need to get God to do something else? No, we don't. You didn't, you weren't super confident. I said, "Did God do enough, or do we need to get Him to do something else?" Yeah. All right, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And uh, so I don't get you know. There's times when I hear people you know to say you know Lord, would you heal this one, or Lord, would you do that? You know, I've heard people you know say you know you don't know, you're not praying right. You're not praying. Don't let's not be like that. Grace means grace. You give people slack. And I believe that God is not so legalistic himself that he hears something, but he knows our heart what we want that he says, well, I'm not going to do it because you didn't say it exactly right. And I gave this illustration, I don't know, a couple of months ago, that when our boys were little, their favorite sandwich, which they don't even like today, which, go figure, was peanut butter and honey. And so peanut butter honey sandwiches. And so they don't even like that today. I don't know what happened. But anyway, uh, so, but this is how they would say uh, when they would ask for it, they would ask for a peanut butter Witchet. And other people would go, What do they want? And Melody said they want a peanut butter and honey sandwich. And, but they would say peanut butter Witchet. But Melody would give that to them. She would never go, I'm not giving that to you because you're not saying it right. And Danielle's boys, she was gifted interpreting because they would come over our house and they would go, I, I want. And, and they would say this sound. And Melody would look at me and I would look at her. I go, I have no idea. One more time. Slow. Say it slow. They would say it slow. And it was still like in tongues or something, you know. And Danielle would go. This is what they want. So a lot of times they would ask for something and Danielle wouldn't be there and we would be babysitting. We'd call her and say, here, let, listen, speak to your mom. Tell her. What was it? Okay, got it. I got it. And we would do it. And we would get it for them. But I believe God is much better than that. I said God's much better than that. So when people are crying out for revival, God's not in heaven going, I've already did everything, so you just pipe down and shut up. I believe God is saying, I know what you're saying and I know what your heart wants. And so I'm going to cause your eyes to be open to what I've already done. So you'll see the manifestation of the goodness of God that I accomplished on the cross and the resurrection 2,000 years ago. You're going to be made aware of the goodness of God. You're going to be made aware that I poured out my spirit already. You know, people are, you know, I did have one Thing for the worship team. I told Danielle, I said, I don't want to sing songs where we're begging God to come or begging God to pour out his spirit. That's my one line that I have drawn in the sand. But if I go to another meeting, I hear songs like that. And you know what? The Lord taught me that a few years ago because I went to this prayer meeting where there was about... 30, 40, 50 of us up in the mountains, we were all getting together and pray. And man, they were just singing these songs, but they were like, Come, Jesus. And I'm going, it was like nails on the chalkboard. Because I'm thinking, He's here. Pour out your spirit. I go, he did. And they but did it, but and then I was fighting that. And they were just sensing the presence of God. Tears are running down her streams, mascara, makeup was running. It was just, it was a move of God. And I looked around, and the Lord says, you shouldn't be so legalistic because I'm not. I know what they want. I know what they're crying out for. And I went, man, that is so good. <laughs> so don't get so legalistic if you hear somebody praying something that's you feel like, well, that's wrong. Well, just know this. God is not so legalistic. So let's just shake it off. Amen? I said all that to say this about revival. I've got a good friend. He prays for revival and everything. And so I just think, well, good. I just know that when God hears, I feel like now that when I hear people crying out for God to do something, mainly revival. Lord, we need revival. Pour out revival. Do something, God. I believe that I have interpreted as, Lord, I want to be more aware of what you've done. Having said that, I saw this clip, and it just touched my heart, but it was about revival. And I believe, I want to show you this because I believe the church needs to be aware, if you want to call it revival, whatever you want to call it. And listen, I'll say this. If you disagree with everything I just said, that's okay. I don't have a problem with that, all right? There's people that leave church because they hear something that they disagree with. If that's the case, I would have left this church. You didn't get that. I, I I said if I if I had to agree with everything that was said in this pulpit, I would have to leave the church because there's things I've said five, ten years ago, maybe five months ago, I go, mm, I'm not sure that I, I totally believe that or not. So I would have to leave. My point is this. Let, let's be mature people that we can still stay in unity and love and walk in the love of God even when we disagree. I need everybody to say amen on that. Amen. All right. We're going to show this clip. Are you ready there, Chelsea, to show this real clip? It's six minutes long, but it's powerful. Go ahead.
1: It was the 1940s or so when there was a professor who was in England. His name was Professor Orr, O-R-R. He taught theology at a university there. He decided to take some of his theology students. This is the 1940s. He decided to take them on an excursion, a field trip, so to speak, And so he gathered up his students and he said, we're going to go visit some of the historical places here in England that have some sort of theological significance. He took them to many religious sites, some that had been very strategic in the building up of the church and in um, the Christian faith. And one of the places that they visited was the Epworth uh, Rectory, which would have been the home, the living place, the study place of one of the great reformers of the church. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley sort of put in place much of the theology upon which the church that you attend, that I attend, a lot of that foundational theology was crafted by reformers like John Wesley. So John Wesley would study, he would teach, he would preach, he would pray that revival would spread out, not only in England, but he prayed for it here in our country, that would, revival would break out. He and others like him ushered in, in prayer, some of the great revivals that swept through America in the early 1900s, where people in mass We're coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord, where the heavens seemed to be open in an unusual way and revival broke out in a way that has made the history books that we still look back on now and recognize the fire of God's spirit that spread during that time period. It's because guys, many of them, like John Wesley, were on their knees praying that God would move. So these theology students went and they visited this rectory, this house where he lived, and they went in the kitchen. Professor Orr showed them all where John Wesley would have uh, eaten his uh, lunch and his dinners, where he would have cooked, where he would have lived his life there, took him into the study where John... Wesley would have studied these theology students were enamored because of course some of the old books that John Wesley would have studied from that he had written in some of those notes they had preserved they were still there on the desk and on the bookshelves and so the theology students were feeling the the spines of those books just enjoying the richness of this history And then Professor Orr walked the students up to the second floor where the the most intimate quarters of John Wesley would have been his bedroom, walked in the bedroom, and the students began to file around the bed in a tiny space in that bedroom. And as they all filed into the room, one of them noticed as they got around the far side of the bed that there were two um, small patches, well-worn patches, in the carpet fibers of the floor. They were right next to each other, and they were beside the bed. And he he asked his professor about those patches that were worn right there beside the bed. And Professor Orr explained that it is said that those two patches were the actual places where every single morning, not for a minute or two, but for several hours on end, John Wesley would plant his knees right beside his bed. And he had prayed so long and so hard for revival that his knees had actually imprinted themselves onto the floor that the carpet fibers were, were worn as he prayed for revival. So the students stood in there for a moment. And after a few moments, they left the room. They went downstairs. They all got on the bus to go to the next location. Professor Orr stood at the front of the bus, counted the students to make sure everybody was there. And he realized one was missing. He walked back into the house, went into the kitchen to look for the student. Nobody was there. Went into the study to look for the student. Nobody was there. Walked up the stairs into the bedroom, and he could just see across the other side of the bed the head and shoulders of a student who had planted his knees down in those well-worn patches on the floor, and he could hear the student praying, do it again, Lord. Lord, would you do it again? And would you do it again with me? Professor Orr walked around the side of the bed. He put his hand on the the shoulder of the student and he said, It's time to go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went and joined the rest of the students on the bus that day. And then God did it again.
0: Amen. The point is this God hurt his heart. And that needs to be our heart. Not that God will do it again, as far as he's not going to come down here again and jump on the cross, he's not going to come down here and pour out more of his spirit than what already he has. But where we are missing it is that we're not aware. We're not aware of what God has done and what he wants to do through us. Through us. I believe that's where the church is missing it. Is that God wants you and me to know that you're here and coming to church not just to do or hear a a message. My purpose is to get you stirred up that you will be made aware of the God that is in you so that God can work through you to change lives around you. There's so many people that are hurting. And let me just say this. I'll tell you what. In the next few weeks, it it may just a lot of things come unraveled as far as the political realm goes. But let me just encourage you and remind you of this. Before you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're a Christian. It's easy to forget that sometimes. I know. I mean, I've been in some heated discussions before, and the Lord says, I just want you to know that you're a Christian before you're anything else. Amen? Amen. I said "Amen." amen? But we need to know that God's love is so magnificent. It is so huge that he wants to do things through us in this church, and even when you're outside this church, he wants to do things through you. He's waiting on us, you know. We're asking God to do something, but I'm here to tell you, God and all of heaven is waiting on you and me to step out in faith. He is, and but this is the thing: we get so scared that what if we fail? What if we? What if we mess up? What if we pray for somebody and and, and they don't receive or whatever? It will happen. <laughs> it will happen. That, I remember the first when I was 18 years, actually 19 years old. I got filled with the spirit, I came home from leave when I was in the Air Force and my brother-in-law took me to this church where I just was freaking out. They had their hands raised and, and they were praying for sick people and I saw somebody get up out of a wheelchair and I just went. I never I thought all of this was gone, passed away when Jesus and the disciples died and then lo and behold, I realized that people were still getting healed. Miracles were still happening. It was awesome. It was so great. But the first, so I started getting seeing this, and then the the pastor was started preaching like what I'm telling you today that God wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through you. So I I was going to this church on and off when I, I after I got out of the service and when I would come back even in the service, I, I remember that uh, an elderly man that I became kind of known and. And uh, so he got cancer, and he was in the hospital, and and they said he was about ready to die. So I went up there to the hospital. I was 19 years old. He was laying down there. Nobody was in the room. Thank the Lord. And uh, so I grabbed his two hands, and I pulled him up to sit him up in the bed. He couldn't even sit up in bed. And I just asked God to heal him. And, you know, I knew about this much when it comes to healing. But I I just did that. He died the next day. He died. And I was really just like devastated, you know. And, you know, my mind just started going 100 miles an hour. Like, man, you better never pray for anybody. If this gets out, nobody will want you to pray for them. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you this about after that, uh, a few months after that, I just kept getting more and more on fire for Jesus and started just wanting to to do all that I can. And, and so when I came home one time, uh, a woman that was in the hospital called my mom and said um, that from our church. And she said, uh, would you come and pray for me? She says, you know, I wouldn't be able to, but Mike would. Mike could come and pray for you. So I said, yeah, I'd, I'd be glad if they said that she had. Cancer in her colon, and so I went down there and to pray for her. And as soon as I stepped in the room, there was another woman in the bed. Uh, you know, it was two beds in, in the the room, and uh, I walked in. And before I could even get to the other bed, that this lady said, "Who are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm here to to pray for Sister So and So." And she says, "Would you pray for me?" I said, "Yeah, I, I would love to pray for you." And I prayed for her. She was about. Uh, I forgot really exactly what was wrong with her, but I just remember praying for her and something serious and she thought she was going to die or whatever. And I prayed for her and she got so touched by God. So then I went and prayed for this other uh, lady. And lo and behold, um, my mom got a phone call the next day and the woman that I went to pray for wanted to call and said that woman that Mike prayed for went home today. She got totally, miraculously healed and went home. They didn't even keep her. They just sent her home because they said, they're, you're totally well. And the woman that I prayed for, and she said, and let me tell Mike this, is that instead of me having cancer, that I just had um, hemorrhoids. That's all they said the problem was. <laughs> so she says, they're sending me home because that's, not, it's, that's nothing serious. I'm just telling you, what if I would have quit and gave up? That God doesn't heal. I'm here to tell you since then, since I've been 19, there's been a lot of people I prayed for that didn't get it, but there's been a lot of people that I've prayed for that did. You just keep growing and you just keep growing and you just keep going and you just keep going because God never changes. You say, well, what's the. Listen, I don't try to figure it out. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? I do know things that, man, I'll tell you, I've prayed for people, and they didn't die, and they were supposed to. And there I prayed for people, and they died. But the bottom line is, I keep in my foundation that it's the will of God. I have endurance. I have patiently endured and know that God is a healer no matter what happens. So, God, if you want to say this, He wants to do it through you and me. He wants to do it through us, the manifestation of his goodness. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay or trouble without getting angry or upset. Our nation better get a hold of this. Can you go through something and respond the way that Jesus would respond? This is going to be. I'm not for sure exactly what scripture, but this is going to be our scripture for 2021. You know, we had. I felt like the Lord gave me one for 2020. Romans 15:13. This is going to be for 2021. It's the Passion Translation of Romans or of Psalms chapter 40. Psalms chapter 40, one through four, the Passion Translation. It says, "I waited and waited and waited some more, patiently." knowing God would come through for me. Stop right there. He wasn't waiting to think that, well, you know, it just I don't know what's going to happen. No, there was a connection with David. Wait, This is David. He was waiting, knowing that God was going to come through for him. Verse 2, he stooped down, God stooped down, to lift me up out of danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me where I walk along his ascending path. It's going up. Verse 3, a new song for a new day rises up in me every time I think about how he breaks through for me. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. This is the part I want you to get a hold of. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. This is my desire. You know, I don't want to just have miracles so people say, Woo, stuff is happening in Rocky Mountain Family Church. Woo, look at that ministry over there. No, my purpose is not even the miracle in and of itself. The purpose is that they will fall in love with Jesus. Because that's who it's all about. Everything, ministry in this life, it's about him. It's about Jesus. And sometimes we forget what it's about. It's about him. So I've been praying this and I just thought, you know what? We if we have to get a jump, you know, it's just like getting jumper cables on, on a car. It's dinner in a door now. It has the capacity to run. It has the capacity to do 120 miles down the road. It has the power of it's a truck to pull, you know, 15,000 pounds. It has all the capacity to do this, but it's not, it needs a jump start. So I feel like when God does a miracle, it's a jump start on the body of Christ saying, I want you to remember me and how good I am, and I'm full of the love of God. That God loves us so much. That's why I want to see miracles. And, yeah, I do want to see it because I know there's some people that have to have a miracle because the doctors can't heal them, because medication won't heal them, because their mind is it, it needs to be jump-started. They're so ingrained in their negativity. They need a miracle in their mind. There's miracles that need to happen in restorations as far as marriages and, and sons and daughters with their parents or, or relationships. It takes a miracle to get stuff put back together again, and only God can do that. But you know what? God says, I'm still in the miracle business. I'm still in the business of putting marriages back together, relationships with children back together, healing bodies. I'm still doing that. We have to believe that. It takes faith and patience to walk in the promises of God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced, fully convinced, That the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, God's not finished with us, He's not finished with the church. What He started 2,000 years ago, He says, I'm never, ever going to give up on the church, He never will. The pandemic can't close it. Communism can't close it. A Republican or Democrat can't close it. (laughs) Nobody can stop. Communism, China, Russia, North Korea, they cannot stop the church. Neither can America. I'm convinced. But what he started in you, let's get back to you, make it specifically on you. There's things that God began in you. And maybe you've given up even on yourself. Do you realize that God has not given up on you and never will? Something we were in prayer, we have church prayer on Wednesdays from 12 to 1, and somebody said this, and I thought, man, that is so good. You know how many times you go to God in prayer and say, God, I've just messed up here, and could you help me correct this? And could you help me do that? And and a lot of our prayer life is almost in a negative realm. Don't get me wrong. I think that's good sometimes. We pray that. But how about doing this? Lord, show me where I'm doing good. I don't know about you, but I respond better when instead of people going, you know, you're doing this wrong, you're really doing this wrong, you're screwing up, you're screwing up. When I used to work for FedEx, you know, I was a supervisor there. When my boss came to me and he says, Mike, I got the the, the numbers for this week on the aircraft departure. Man, you've hit it, nailed it every time. Man, you are doing whatever you're doing, man. Just and he would just. Build me up. I go, yeah, I appreciate that. I walk out of that room and go, yeah. <laughs> Boom. And it just make me, you know what would happen? I would get just like a, a mother hen, just all their feathers fluffed up. And the next morning, we meet at 4 o'clock in the morning to t- attack the aircraft. Man, we just, I'd just get so excited. Four, it's hard to get excited at 4 a.m. But I would get excited and say, guys, we can do this. We're going to get this plane out and turn around on, on a, in record time today. And it you, you just built me up. I believe God is speaking good things over you and me. But we're not hearing it. Because we're so concentrated on all of our mess-ups and insecurities and weaknesses and our failures. And we don't hear anything good. But your Heavenly Father is speaking good things over you every day of your life. Every day he's speaking good things over you. The Bible says his thoughts towards you are so good, and they're innumerable. I don't know, but I need to hear things like that. So many times we feel like, well, we're just not measured up. Zig Ziglar, he said 52% of the CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies are from lower, middle class, or poor families. Eighty percent of millionaires in America are first-generation millionaires. Of the 300 world-class leaders, 300 of the world-class leaders, he mentioned Churchill, 75% were abused as children, had serious disability, or number three, they were raised in poverty. Melody really encouraged me this week. She said, Churchill, did you realize Churchill, Mike? She said, I read, we're in the eighth grade. He, he flunked English three times. He had to go back. If you don't know me, I just that just made my day because I thought maybe that, that gene went to Kentucky, you know, is what I thought, you know, that for somehow they, they migrated to Kentucky. And so... Uh, where we struggled with English, but you know, my point is, he was one of the great leaders. The great speeches of all time were done by Churchill, and the dude flunked English three times in one year. I just thought, God, you're so awesome. My point is this: so many times, uh, we think what happens to us counts. That that's what we are. It's not what happens to us that counts, but how we respond to what happens is how we should be facing it. Adversity doesn't tell you what you are, but it can make you how you respond in the adversity. All of those people that I talked about, leaders and millionaires, they responded differently how other people responded. We all go through problems. Everybody's going through the pandemic just like everybody else in the world. But how are you responding? So many people are responding in total fear. So many people are responding with uh, they're they're losing their jobs, businesses are closing up. 2021 is going to be a year where we have to get a hold of God and trust Him. Trust Him. We got to trust Him. And we can fully receive everything that he's provided for us. The Bible says through faith and patience. Hebrews 6.12. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. But follow the example of those who fully receive what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. You just don't quit. You just don't give up. No matter what, you just—I'm not quitting. It gets rougher. I have found this out a lot of times when the symptoms get extraordinary, more painful, higher temperature. That's when I think, "Woo! I'm getting a breakthrough." <laughs> because I just feel like the devil's just giving his best—he's like giving up, so he's just letting it all hang out. And I'm going, "This is it! I'm getting my breakthrough." I'm getting my breakthrough. What is that? That's endurance. That's patience. That's not giving up. It's I'm not quitting no matter what. I'm not quitting no matter what. You don't give up on what God has done for you and what God has said about you. You cannot give up on what God has said about you. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2, you were healed by the stripes of Jesus. He's made you the head and not the tail. Everything you set your hand to shall surely prosper. You cannot give up on what Jesus has said about you. Don't give up on what he said about you. He still thinks and believes that you are the apple of his eye. First Chronicles chapter 4 says this, Now Jabez, you know a few years ago there was a lot of books written about this, about Jabez and the Jabez prayer. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. And his mother called his name Jabez because I bore him in pain. Jabez means to grieve or to sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. He believed that his whole life he was causing pain, and he said, I want that to change. So God granted him what? He requested. Real quick, 2 Chronicles 69. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are is loyal to him. He wants to show himself strong. And you say, well, what do you mean by His somebody whose heart is loyal to him? He's talking to somebody who knows that they're the righteousness of God and they're born again and that Jesus lives mightily in them. God is waiting on you and me. He wants to show himself strong in us and through us. But he's waiting on us to believe what he said about us. Because when we start believing, I didn't get to it, but there's a story in the Bible of Jacob. Jacob, he left uh, his family and he was, his family told him he had to go get a, a wife from his mother's side. So he's on his way to get a wife. And so he made a, a, a bed and had rocks for a pillow. It just makes me never complain about my pillow after I read that, you know. I mean, who would get a rock for a pillow? Anyway, that's an. I digress. But anyway, he so he he went to sleep on the rock, and he had this dream, his vision and that there was angels going up and down on the ladder and that God was in this place. And he woke up. He woke up, and immediately he said this. I'll just read verse um, 10. Uh, No, 16. Genesis 28, 16. Genesis 28, 16. Listen to me. Before you read it, don't look there. Look at me. This is... Take it down. They're disobeying. (laughs) This is the problem with the American church today. This is the problem. Now pull it up. And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That's the problem with us today. God is here. God is here and we don't know it but it changed his life from that point on he went to Laban and, and Laban tried to cheat him and everything and guess what you can't curse what God has blessed he left and on his way back and he promised God he says I'll give you a tithe of everything I'm, I make he was so broke then he did he had to rocks for pillows but when he came back on his way home he had caravans plural sheep and goats and kids and wives and just wagon loads after wagon loads what happened he became aware of God church I've been praying every day for you I pray, God, that they would be aware, first of all, of how much you love them. God wants you to know that he loves you as much as he loved Jesus. So I pray first that God would that you would become aware of the love of God and that you would become aware of his goodness that he wants to do through you. And you would become aware of Of what he has done for you. He's done so much for us already. It changes my prayer life. God would you do this. No. God thank you that you've done this. God thank you that you've forgiven all of my sin. God you've forgiven the sin that I'm going to do tomorrow. And the sin that you're going to do. Thank you that I'm forgiven all my sin. Thank you that you see me righteous every day of my life. Thank you, God, that your mercies toward me are new every morning. Thank you that I'm surrounded with the favor of God as a shield. Everywhere I go, the favor of God goes before me. You make a way where it seems like there's no way. Before I even believe that I need a way or a breakthrough, you've already done it. Thank you. You've already done it for me, God. It changed the way that you talk with God. But God wants you to be aware of him. Not just pray, because you know, so many times I used to do this. I would spend time with God in the morning and not even think about Him for the rest of the day. And my problem is this. I wouldn't be aware of God throughout the rest of the day. Man, when I when I can't find something, I find it. The first thing, I, I always do this now. I go, Lord, help me to find that. Holy Ghost, you know where it's at. Just help me. You know what? I'll, I'll, I had this statistic. Am I going over? Yes. I already went over. It says, in a lifetime, you'll spend approximately one year looking for your keys. I don't know, but that's just a little discouraging to me. I go, one year? Are you kidding me? I'm wasting a year looking for my keys. That is just wrong. That's sad. What did you do with your life? Well, one year, I looked for my keys. If you live to be 80 years old. One of those years, you're going to look for keys. I go, no, no, no. I'm not. Not me. Not me. Not me. Not me. That's the average person. I'm above average. I'm above average. So I said, Holy Ghost, I don't want to waste time. Where's my keys? And every time he helps me find them, I go, thank you, God. What is that? I become aware of him. When I almost have an accident, I go, thank you, God. Let's be more aware of him. Let's be like Jacob. Man, God, you were with me all along, and I was not aware of it. Let's say, God, I thank you. I'm aware of you 24-7. I'm aware of God. My sheep hear my voice. That's what God said. My sheep hear my voice. I hear God. Quit saying, oh, I just can't hear from God. How long have you been saying that? Quit saying things like that. Well, I just can't hear from God. Yes, you can. And not only you can, you probably are and don't even know it. You're not even aware of it. His voice sounds a lot like your conscience. I've never heard, you know, Charlton Heston type voice Mike, speak, Lord, for your servant is here. I just hear him on the inside of me, and it's Mike Davis's voice. It's Mike Davis's voice. His voice is going to sound a lot like your voice. Let's stand. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'd just like for you to join with me. Start praying for our church. Start praying for our our church to see the manifestation of the goodness of God. Start believing for the manifestation of the goodness of God. He's here every Sunday. He shows up every Sunday. But I believe He's waiting. What are you going to believe today? What are you going to believe today? Start praying for people. Start praying. You know, a lot of times I pray at the church as a whole, and then I'll get a person. And I'll just pray for that one family or that one person. God will use you that way. There's been times that I've been driving down and I haven't seen somebody since I was 16 years old. It's not that long ago, but it was a few years. And I think, what in the world? Why would that person? Duh. So I would pray for that person. Anytime somebody gets brought to my mind, if somebody brings, uh, if you have a, a, a thought about somebody, pray for them. Pray for them. God wants to use you ladies and gentlemen, and he's going to. I I believe, I wrote it down. I said, I I believe God spoke to me and said, he says, I'm going to use them and I'm going to move through them. They just need to believe that. And call it what you want. You want to call it revival? Great. You want to say, God, do it again? Great. But the heart of this church is going to be full of love and expectation and that God is going to move you in this place and in your home and in your job. Amen. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for Rocky Mountain Family Church. I thank you, Lord, that our eyes are being opened. Paul said to pray that the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height of God's love would be revealed to us. And so I pray that as a church family, I pray, first of all, that we would have a revelation of how much he loved us. And in that wisdom and revelation, it would cause us To be able to step into the unseen realities. The spiritual realm is all around us. And yet, we are more inclined to live totally by our senses. Help us, Lord, to realize there's something more real than our five senses. And to walk in that realm. To see that realm. To believe that realm. Help us as a church to do that, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen going to go ahead and receive our offering ways to give online rmfchurch.org you can go that you can make a church payable a check payable to rmfc or give cash or you can text that amount to that number and let's say our scripture i, I don't think i've been doing that let's say our scripture over our offering amen are you ready my father generously provides all that i need He is doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or think, according to the power that is in me. He surrounds me with favor and inspires me to be a blessing. I am blessed. Psalms 91 says this, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. And he goes on down there and says, no pestilence shall come nigh my dwelling. Be conscious of, of that. And not only be conscious of that, say that from time to time. The, the pestilence that flieth by arrow. How does it go? The pestilence that flieth by arrow. Or I'm stepping out. And I should have thought of it before I stepped out. It, it, in Psalms 91, it talks about the pestilence that flies. It shall not come nigh unto me. But the Bible says in Psalms 91, the first one, it says, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. What does that mean? I'm surrounded and covered by him and I believe. So anytime you start to feel fearful, you know, one of your fellow employees or somebody gets COVID, don't just go, oh, no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? No, you say, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, the Lord is my fortress. He is my shield. And no pestilence, no COVID will come nigh my dwelling in Jesus' name. Those, that virus, when it comes on me, it disintegrates. It disintegrates. Amen. Believe that. Amen.